A quick note, this episode contains adult content and spoilers that may be disturbing to some people. Listener discretion is advised, and please take care. Hi, and thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your host, Nicole, and you're listening to the first season of Perfectionist. Warning, please be advised that this episode contains spoilers for the Throne of Glass novel. Listener discretion is advised. If you are interested in a non-spoilers discussion about the Throne of Glass novel, feel free to check out last week's episode where we discuss world building, Cinderella, and who we'd recommend this book to and more. When magic has gone from the world and a vicious king rules from his throne of glass, an assassin comes to the castle. She does not come to kill, but to win her freedom. If she can defeat 23 killers, thieves, and warriors in a competition to find the greatest assassin in the land, she will become the king's champion and be released from prison. Her name is Selena Sardothian. The crown prince will provoke her, the captain of the guard will protect her, and a princess from a foreign land will become the one thing she never thought she would have again, a friend. But something evil dwells in the castle, and it's there to kill. When her competitors start dying, horribly, one by one, Selena's fight for freedom becomes a fight for survival, and a desperate quest to root out the source of the evil before it destroys her world. On today's episode, we will be discussing the Throne of Glass novel. So we're going to be delving deep into what happens within Throne of Glass and all how we felt about all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, If you listen to our review on Assassin's Blade, you'll know that Selena was sent to the Salt Mines labor camp in Indovier. Throne of Glass picks up, but kind of like a, a few months later, like quite a while later, almost a year later, I think. Yeah, we discussed in our first uh, or our Assassin's Blade episode, how important it is to remember how old she is because some of the things she does, it puts it into context. So for context's sake, she is 18 years old throughout the Throne of Glass story. So we open Throne of Glass with Selena being brought from the mines to meet with somebody. She's like blindfolded and she's being led somewhere. She can't really see, well, she's blindfolded, so she can't see who is leading her she has no idea where she's going what's going on this is very unusual and we kind of get a sense of how cunning she is because she's already noticing like the layout of the building despite being blindfolded and she's like thinking to herself like all these fools they think they have me all twisted around and don't know where I am she's like I could escape I know you know I could do this and kill this person do this and break this person's arm like she's already like plotting all this stuff just as she's walking to this mysterious place she's being taken Mm -hmm. and so we're already starting to get to see a little bit about Selena and the skills that she has yeah it's actually very exciting and it really makes you realize exactly why she's so deadly because she's incredibly intelligent she has an excellent memory she has amazing spatial awareness (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she uses this to her advantage. So the blindfold didn't hinder her the way that they had hoped. 
because she was blindfolded, they had this false sense of security. And all they did when they were leading her around was really acquaint her with her surroundings. Yeah, so they like tried to take her like not on a direct path to where they're going, but like let her through the building on this like maze. And she's like, okay, fools, you've just shown me what the building looks like. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, all of this is in her head. She's not actually saying this to them. Yes. <laughs> so she ends up meeting Prince Dorian mm-hmm. and Kaol Westfall, who is uh, the captain of the King's Guard. Mm-hmm. So they give her a choice it's very unexpected for her because she just thinks she's supposed to toil away in the the mines until her death essentially Mm -hmm. but they give her a choice whether she wants to fight in a I don't know how much of a choice it is but to fight in a competition to become the king's champion so like the royal assassin to do as he bids um, and to do his dirty work And then after her contract as the king's champion kind of runs out, she will gain her freedom. Yeah, so imminent death or possible death. Mm -hmm. So as she is kind of given this choice, as she's being introduced to like Dorian and Kale and being told why they're there and what she's doing there, we get a glimpse of each of those characters and sort of her perception of each of them. And if I remember correctly, she's kind of automatically or like stricken by Dorian's good looks. And Kale's the one who was taking her from the mines to the meeting spot. And she was like thinking, oh, he's like very brooding. His broodiness came out very early on. And she's like, what is up with this guy? He like hid his head in this like <coughs> cloak or hood so she couldn't see who it was and stuff so he's being all mysterious and like very firm with her and stuff and so we're starting to see each of their characters from her perspective I think that Kale's broodiness is not something he can hide because it's so intrinsic to his character <laughs> <laughs> it's just who he is <laughs> yeah big time <laughs> so obviously she's says yes because it's giving her so much opportunity to possibly even just escape this whole ridiculous notion of this king's champion thing maybe she could Mm -hmm. have an opportunity to get away she can't remain in Indovier but no we do learn that she did try to escape once yes and this was sort of the one of the reasons why Dorian selected because Dorian selected her to be like his champion so she is representing him in this competition and I believe one of the reasons why he sought out and found her was because of the story he had heard about her trying to escape and what she kind of went through in that event I mean it was impressive the security at Indovier is toit <laughs> it's it's sorry it's very tight security it's very <laughs> intense security so what she did was she actually kind of just booked it for the wall mm-hmm. and most people make it maybe a few steps and then they're struck down and killed or whatever yeah and she, she made it several people se- oh, in the process it was yeah she like it was like a massacre <laughs> yeah 
and she ended up actually making it like so close to the wall, which is completely unheard of in the salt mm-hmm. mines. So that, her intention wasn't even to escape. She's like, I am not going to escape. This is not an escape plan. Mm-hmm. She was not wanting to exist anymore. She was like, I don't want to be a part of this game where they're making me um, live out my life in the salt mines. I want to take my fate into my own hands. Yeah. But fate had a different decision for her. Or yes, a different course. It did. It was still very impressive, though. Yeah. But... I mean, she did it also without consideration, like without the concern for her own life. So that mm-hmm. is huge. So she agrees to go. And where she is in the salt mines is, I think, a two-week carriage ride back to the Riftold. capital city, Riftold. So she is traveling with Dorian and um, as well as Kale and a bunch of other men from the King's Guard. And along the way, we get to discover a lot about the world itself, and we learn a lot about magic and the elements of magic that used to exist and some that maybe still exist a little bit. And we're introduced to the fairies. I can't remember if she actually sees a fairy or if they're just discussing them at this point. I seem to recall that there was a moment where she saw like these tiny little creatures that were fairies um, and they seemed to be leaving her flowers. Oh. Do you remember that? Um, I, I was like, I don't know if I made that up or if that actually happened. <laughs> yeah. It was a fever dream. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think, yeah, that kind of happens. Mm. So I think that's, it's really good foreshadowing for Selena and her journey that she goes on throughout the series. Mm-hmm. When you're first reading it, and if you have no idea what happens with Selena, yeah. and you haven't had the entire series spoiled for you some way, <laughs> you're kind of thinking, oh, you know, why have these fairies, why do they obviously take a liking to her, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's really cool. It is really cool. I was very excited when I started reading about them mm-hmm. also when they were in the forest heading towards Riftold and they were camping mm-hmm. there was some really interesting foreshadowing there as well um, mm-hmm. about Selena and her past it, you start to realize there's more to her than what we know quite a mm-hmm. lot more to her than what we know at this point in time the king of Adderlin had outlawed it all magic fae fairies and removed any trace so thoroughly that even those who had magic in their blood almost believe it had never really existed selena herself being one of them so i personally that was a quote from throne of glass and i personally found that so exciting i remember when Mm -hmm. i read it i messaged you right away and i was like Selena herself being one of them so what she had magic and I remember I was like looking it up and I was like did I misread it no no she must have magic she's the main character of this series mm-hmm. yeah I remember we both were like I read it and I reread it and then I read it again and <laughs> we had the same reaction of like is this is this saying what I think this is saying yeah because <laughs> you you know that there's a good chance it makes sense that she would have magic but you're not really expecting it in that moment because mm-hmm. of where the setting is. It just kind of hits you in that moment. And you're like, what? 
this is gonna be exciting yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) so they they eventually they get to the glass castle Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting because selena is so I almost want to say repulsed, but the glass castle freaks her out. But it's actually mm-hmm. an addition onto the stone part, the original stone castle. Yeah, so the original stone castle is there. They've just put like a glass facade, one might say, or addition onto. And she chooses to stay in the stone section of the castle. She wants nothing to do with the glass part. I think she was like, I don't even want to go tour it. Because they're like, oh, we're at the castle. Do you want to tour? And she's like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just stick to the stone part. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. I thought it was super interesting that she went from basically being a... Well, she was. She was a slave at the salt mines mm-hmm. with zero control over her life whatsoever. And the decision... there was She didn't make decisions in there. That, like, she didn't really have the power to. But... Once she was Prince Dorian's uh, champion, it seemed like she was able to call a few shots, you know, such as, you know, I want to stay in the stone (laughs) part Mm -hmm. of the castle. They could have very easily have said to her, that's not an option for you. Yeah. But they didn't. (laughs) No, and she got the most gorgeous set of rooms. It wasn't even a room. It was her rooms. And it like... I'm picturing it like you walk in and she has like almost this living room corridor section, like an entryway section. And then she has like a, I think like a dining area. And she also has like a games room. And then there's the mm-hmm. bedroom with an actual bathroom attached to it. Mm-hmm. I feel like there must be a closet somewhere in there because it's Selena. And as we mentioned previously, she likes her fashion. Yeah. And yeah. So it's like a, a really nice space that she's given yeah she's given a suite of rooms which is Mm -hmm. lovely it's not just like a hotel room it's a whole thing which i guess if you're staying in a castle it'd be kind of weird if the rooms weren't nice (laughs) yeah i mean generally when you read about a castle and the character is in a room in the castle as a guest they usually do get some kind of version of a suite of rooms but it is nice that she has this space to herself and what a change from her current living condition or her previous living conditions. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the glass castle? Like why glass? I still have no idea why glass other than the visual impact of it and the fact that it must have been impossible to build. Like, I'm trying to think about technologically where they're supposed to be at and wondering how they possibly manage that. And it has to be with magic. Yeah. I All I could think was, because I could imagine that it would be very beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. But all I could think was like, oh, like when the sun is shining through, doesn't it get really hot? <laughs> It's so impractical. <laughs> yeah. But it's like the impracticality of it says so much. It's mm-hmm. like I can afford to live, not like money afford, but like afford to live in such an impractical way. Mm-hmm. Like I have the privilege to live in this incredibly exactly. impractical way. And I always find it interesting because they like talk about like the glass table and the glass pen, like everything is made out of glass, not just the castle. And obviously, the throne is made out of glass, hence the title, Throne of Glass. Yeah. But it's so impractical. (laughs) It's extremely impractical. 
<laughs> but it makes for a really cool visual. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's any symbolism there with the empire that the king has created and the fact that the, the castle is glass and that it's kind of something that could shatter at any moment? Do you feel that that could be symbolistic in any way? I think that there's definitely more to it than it being glass just for showiness. I think there is a very specific reason why Mass chose to make it glass and likely because of the fragility of it. I think that it definitely plays into why she chose that as the material. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Selena has, she goes by several different names in this book, not just Selena yes. Sardothian. There's, there's several names. So Lillian Gordana, and later on, when she makes friends with Nehemia, she is, she decides to call Selena Elentia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so she gets lots of little nicknames in this one. And the reason she's going by Lillian is because no one wants the other competitors to know who she is. Because, I mean, if they knew they were up against Ardalyn's assassin, then that kind of like puts a big target her name on comes her back. With, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. They might even team uh, so up they, to get rid of her. Yeah. And um, yeah, they choose to like fill in this little backstory for her where she's like a jewelry thief. Yeah. Like absolutely <laughs> like unqualified to be there basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I steal jewels. So yeah. I can definitely be the king's assassin. <laughs> and not only that, but she's really frustrated but about not being able to be her badass self in mm-hmm. front of everybody not reveal how skilled and deadly she is and she gets she's getting tired she gets really tired of it throughout the story yeah because not only is she not allowed to tell anyone who she is but she has to like pretend she's not as skilled as she is and she is not at her peak because she's just spent a year in the salt mine so her body is very malnourished and she hasn't had an opportunity to train for all that time so she's not at her peak but she's still much deadlier than the average person even in that state yeah so the lineup of all of the other people who she has to compete with is super interesting she's the only female yeah i I didn't even notice that until you said it yeah i mean it's I guess I just assumed she would be. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so she's the only female. And the other ones, I was really interested by, like, repulsed by Grave. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, so basically, kind of one of the big bads of the other competitors, his name is Kane, which Mm -hmm. is like, oh yeah, he for sure is bad. He's evil. Yeah, you can tell by his name. <laughs> there's obviously has to be a bunch of them for the story to make sense, but there's really just a few key players that we hear about over and over again. She kind of forms a, I don't want to say alliance, not really an alliance, but like a kind of a tentative friendship with Knox, mm-hmm. one of the other assassins. Notably, Kane is sponsored by Duke Parrington, and this mm-hmm. is important to note. So the whole competition is kind of formatted like this it starts in the fall and it lasts 13 weeks 
each week there's an elimination task and by Yulemas, their version of Christmas, there will be a final showdown to determine who is the king's newest champion, the king's mm-hmm. assassin. Um, so he he Kale tells Selena, as we discussed earlier, not to show her full potential, but mm-hmm. also not to appear weak. So she has to kind of stay in the middle of the pack. And as we talked about, that was hard for her because yeah. I think she's kind she's Selena, something I really like about her is her swagger and her she's so proud of herself. <laughs> and I actually really like that about her. Yeah. And, and and she's frustrated by the limitations that Kale places upon her. Mm-hmm. And doesn't always follow them. I was the archery competition the first competition? I think so. And in that one, she was doing her very best to stay in the middle of the pack. But of course, something happens that she feels like she needs to show people exactly what she's got going on. So I think they have to shoot um, different bullseyes from different distances. So she does like, okay, for the closer distanced ones. But then for the one that's like impossibly far away, she like hits bullseye on it. Yeah, that's right. That's what happens. (laughs) I think though, there's a lot of weird kind of positioning going on between the competitors that kale can't understand and Mm -hmm. sometimes she does have to show like look i'm i'm something like i'm a force to be reckoned with for her own safety as well yeah so she meets princess nehemia from elway Mm -hmm. and they ended up they end up kind of becoming well they do they become good friends Mm -hmm. and in the meantime she's also developing really strong relationships with kale and dorian which almost turns into like a love triangle situation. Yeah. And what did you think about that love triangle thing? The love, I felt like it was nice to see her a little more relaxed. Like, yes, yeah, she's at a castle in this like deadly competition. But at the same time, she's surrounded by people her own age. She's making friends. She just seems a bit more relaxed and a little less guarded than we've seen her if you were to have read Assassin's Blade, she's a little less guarded than there. And we're starting to see a different side of her a little bit. Yeah, it was kind of, she was being playful. She was being an 18-year-old. So mm-hmm. keeping, again, in context of how old she is, it makes complete sense that she's seeing these guys and getting to know them and flirting with them a little bit and just being mm-hmm. playful with them. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very nice to see her a bit less guarded. Yeah. What did you think of Dorian? I thought he was down to earth for a prince, like the typical like prince. I mean, I guess you could do a prince kind of a couple of ways, but he wasn't that arrogant prince. He definitely seemed down to earth. He loved reading. So they really connected on that. And she wrote him a cheeky little letter being like, oh, can you send me some books? Yeah. And he did, which was really nice. And yeah, he just seemed very down to earth. And like, he was kind of like, yes, I'm the king. I have or prince. I'm going to be the king. I need to do this. But until then, I can just be a person with friends. I really enjoyed that Prince Dorian didn't take Selena's little kind of snipey comments personally. He mm-hmm. seemed amused by them. And he always reciprocated in a light, uh, in a light joking manner. And I think that that Selena needed that so badly. Um, I don't think, I, I kind of think he might be very different from anyone else she's really 
spent any time around in her entire life. Yeah. And he's incredibly different from his father. His They couldn't be more opposite, and mm-hmm. it's bewildering they're even related. Yeah, he's definitely very playful, very carefree. And I think that helped to bring Selena out of her shell to see and be around somebody with that characteristics or those mm-hmm. characteristics. Yeah. So the mystery part of this story starts when all of a sudden champions are dying in horrific horrific ways and nobody knows who's killing them Mm -hmm. so there's a little bit of a murder mystery situation happening yeah no and it's like pretty brutal what's happening to them it's not just like a regular death or it's it seems like there's some sort of supernatural element to it yeah it's it would be if it happened in real life it'd be extremely disturbing Mm -hmm. um Something that keeps popping up in this story is the rings that, like, the king the king is wearing one, mm-hmm. and Duke Parrington is wearing one. Mm-hmm. You know, you start to notice that there are these rings, these black rings. I think there's some kind of, like, black stone in the rings. Yeah. And it seems like anybody who's acting a certain kind of way seems to have these rings on. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a character, personality, and ring connection. Yes. <laughs> and it's typically some sort of sketchy behavior. Yes. Or slightly off behavior. Seems yeah. to be connected to someone wearing a ring. Yeah, so there's definitely something fishy going on there. Um, and then something I think that they did not know when they gave Selena that room was the fact that there was that secret passageway behind the tapestry mm-hmm. and um turns out it it links to elena and gavin's tomb and they are who they are are rulers of the continent or what do you, they were the first before? king and queen that's right they were the first king and queen um of adderlin and the ghost of Elena starts to visit Selena. Mm-hmm. So Elena seems to be trying to give her these messages. Yeah. She's basically saying that these murders are happening. There's something to it. And you must figure it out. So yeah. Selena now on top of this competition that she has, has been tasked by a ghost <laughs> to figure out what is happening in the castle with all of these people being murdered. Mm-hmm. So Elena gives her this necklace, the eye of Elena, it's called. Mm-hmm. And she says it will protect her while she's walking around with, I think it's Nehemia. She might be walking around with, she happens to notice these symbols kind mm-hmm. of and around like, the clock tower. Mm-hmm. She notices these symbols Turns out they're called word marks, and they play mm-hmm. a very important part in this entire series. Very important. Anytime word anything comes up, and it's word with a Y, pay attention. <laughs> yes. And Nehemia can read them. Other people can't seem to read them or don't seem to notice or care about them, mm-hmm. but Nehemia can actually read them. So she's able to give Selena some insight as to... You know, they're like little clues that 
Joanna yeah. is using to put everything together there. Speaking of Nehemia, what did you think of their initial meeting? I found it quite amusing and was wondering your kind of thoughts on it because they meet, um, Nehemia is being uh, led around the castle or given a tour of the castle by Caltaine, um, who Selena um, doesn't get along with very well. Uh, she's one of the courtiers and she is taking Nehemia around and showing her the castle. And Nehemia speaks a different language. So Selena actually knows this language and is able to communicate with Nehemia. And the conversation that they have is so funny, or I found it really funny. What did you think of it? I actually had forgotten that they had a, that Nehemia wasn't speaking the common tongue. I had forgotten that. Yeah. Um, so I, I found that very amusing and kind of exciting because then it felt like, okay, well, Selena can actually express maybe how she's truly feeling to Nehemia mm-hmm. without being in danger of, of repercussion from it. Yeah, I know. It was really funny. And they, um, like Nehemia was basically like, this Caltain person is so boring. I don't want to be walking with her. Please like shoo her away from me. me <laughs> yeah. Instead. Yeah. Like I want to be with you, not with her. Make yeah. this happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Caltain is a very unlikable character in this book. Yeah. But you can tell there's definitely something going on with her mm-hmm. because she's experiencing these frequent and intense headaches. Yeah, there's like a, definitely a mystery element to her character. On the surface, she's like a gold digger, essentially. She is there on the request of Duke Parrington, and but her ultimate goal is to get with Dorian. She's like, I want to be queen one day. Like this mm-hmm. is where she's her head's at. But in the process of her being at the castle, she starts experiencing these headaches and like hearing these weird sounds. And there's definitely a strange something strange is happening with her. Mm -hmm. You start to think you, well, it's not made clear what's happening to her right away, but you can tell that it's not just like, she does have an, I think an opium addiction. Mm -hmm. So I know at first when you're reading it, at least for me personally, I was kind of thinking like maybe these headaches have something to do with that, but that was kind of a red herring. Yeah. So Prince Dorian loves dogs. He does love dogs. He like breeds dogs. That seems to be one of his hobbies, hobbies. I guess you could call it. Yeah, hobbies. And yeah. Yeah, and he takes Selena through the kennels and shows her his dogs. And there's one that is kind of not up to his breeding standard. And But Selena's like takes a liking to this particular dog immediately so he ends up gifting this dog to selena and i was actually horrified when the (laughs) i was actually horrified when they introduced dogs to the story because i thought oh no if a dog dies in this story i'm gonna throw this book across the room (laughs) yeah but anyway she ends up naming the dog fleetfoot yeah which is cute just like a, a floppy little dog with these big feet. Mm-hmm. So cute. Meanwhile, people just being murdered also. You know, like she's yeah. she's having this flirtatious thing. Stuff is good. She's doing she's doing well in the competitions in the way that she's not dominating, but she's not doing badly. 
So mm-hmm. things are going as well as they possibly could, considering her situation. She's yeah, also she's having a decent time yeah. considering her situation. Considering her situation. But then there's all these dark kind of murdery things happening as well. <laughs> it's not a great situation, but she's making the best of it. <laughs> yeah, it's better than the salt mines. <laughs> yeah. The Yule Miss Ball kind of comes along. I actually don't know what it is about Yulemas or any kind of holiday celebration in especially fantasy stories, but I always find mm-hmm. it so fun and intriguing to like find out about their traditions. Yeah. I was also like Yulemas. I was like, okay, this comes up a lot in books where they'll say Yulemas instead of Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I was curious about why that was, and apparently the Yulemas stems from a Wiccan holiday and Christmas is actually derived off the of Yulemas. So Yulemas is sort of more of the authentic roots of the right. holiday. According to the wiki, all the holidays in Maz's universe are based off of Wiccan holidays. So I'm Perfect. interested to see what other ones we will be introduced to throughout the series. I'm curious to know if these holidays are going to be, are going to be similar to her other series, if she's going to mm. use the same... Yeah, I, I, I would curious be curious. Too. Yeah, you'll have to let see. me know because I haven't read them. But yeah, okay, um, interesting. How did you think the scene from Yulmis went down? Did you like that scene, or was it just sort of a little extra for you? I liked it. Yeah, it was fine. <laughs> I was happy to mm-hmm. read it. Um, she ends up asking Kale to dance at Yulmis, and Kale's all mm-hmm. being Kale. Like a, he's got to stick up his ass, you know. I'm not. Gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna dance. It's like I am the captain of the guard. I'm the I captain of the guard. Be dancing. Will not be debasing myself like that with you. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like so pissed she's even there. Like he's so upset she showed that she showed up to the Yulmas ball. Oh, I'm remembering this now. So they actually were like, "Oh yeah, Yulmas, the Yulmas ball," and they're like, "You can't come." And she was like, oh. "You're a deadly assassin." She was so like bummed as a teenaged girl would be to be like not invited to the party that everybody's going to (laughs) yeah like she was choked so she was like screw kale i'm going to Mm -hmm. the illness ball and her lovely little handmaiden helped her with everything got her dressed (laughs) yes it was what wonderful hey that's maybe a cinderella element hey i think that might be a cinderella element Kale's like, I can't dance with you. It would be inappropriate. You shouldn't even be here. <laughs> grump, grump, grump. Yeah. And so Dorian's like, I'll dance with you. Yeah. Oh, Dorian. He's so charming. <laughs> they end up having quite a good time with quite each other. a good time. <laughs> a very I think good that time. The official start to them as like a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually kind of enjoyed their relationship, mm-hmm. but I thought it was very sweet. It seems, for as complicated as it was, it seems uncomplicated. Even yeah, though those are contradictions. It's still, given the context, given the situation, I think it was it's nice great. that she could have something nice in her life because mm-hmm. to be in her position, it's kind of like. I mean, how long is she for this earth? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? She's in a she's in very dangerous situations constantly. Mm-hmm. But so then we end up uh, learning about 
a little bit more about Selena because her past is very murky and it's only mm-hmm. given to us in very tiny pieces. And it's actually so like you just so want to know about her and everything, but but you only get to find out a little bit at a time. <laughs> yeah. So we find out that her parents, which we I think we knew they were like dead, but yeah. we kind of found out more about that. Yeah, we found out that her parents had been murdered when she was very young, and it was a Robin who found her on like a river bank as a small child. I think she was eight years old when this happened. So old enough to kind of know about her past, know who her parents were and all that kind of stuff. So she wasn't so young that she like forgets who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, she knows she's from Terrison, like, so she has details, but not so old that she can go off and just kind of be on her own. Like she needs to still have an adult in her life. Unfortunately for her, a Robin is the one who finds her. Mm-hmm. And we also learn that when she was in Endovier, she was just brutally whipped, brutally. Um, so she bears some pretty intense physical scars and I guess mm-hmm. emotional ones too. But, yeah, and that was the result of her um, her trying to escape. Yeah. Throughout the story, we kind of, like, Kane is this, like, lurking kind of, you know who he reminds me of, who he makes me think of from Hunger Games? Is, oh, uh, I just thought of somebody from Hunger Games when you said that. The blonde K- one. Kato. Kato. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Exactly. That's who I was kind of picturing as Kane. Mm-hmm. And throughout the story, they're saying like, oh, he seemed bigger and bulkier and like his muscles were growing. And so you're like, mm-hmm. there's some kind of shady something going on here. Yeah. And you suspect magic be... or potion or some something. Mm-hmm. It's like Adderland's version of steroids or whatever. Exactly. He's getting physically larger with mm-hmm. every time we're introduced to him in the story. But his aggressive behavior reminds me of Cato from Hunger Games mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, and she kind of has this experience, I guess you could say, <laughs> where she actually sees him summoning a monster. Yeah. So he's using word magic. Is that? And he yeah. is, yeah. So creating a portal for a monster from a different dimension, different universe. Realm. Not, um, to the castle. And this is the monster that has been causing all the deaths. So she's done what Elena has asked and has kind of gotten to the root of it. But now she has to deal with this problem. It's a creepy sounding monster too. Mm-hmm. The description, like, that's scary. So because of this altercation. Now, does this happen down in the tombs? Yeah, this happens down in the tombs. Yeah. So... Something I was creeped out about that was because she defeats the monster. Yeah. But it seems like it wasn't an easy thing to do. No. And I think the only reason she was able to defeat it is because in the tomb, the sword that belonged to Gavin. Damaris. Yeah. Was in there and she remembered. And I think that's, she goes and runs and grabs it. But she's quite, quite wounded from that altercation very wounded and in 
the fact that she had to go and fight off this monster meant that Kane got away. And in fighting the monster, she was bitten by it. Mm -hmm. And it happened to be a venomous creature. But she kind of gets back up to her suite of rooms. And Mm -hmm. um, Nehemia is all like, whoa, what happened to you? <laughs> but she she <laughs> she heals her using word magic. And that's probably the only way that Selena could be healed. I would guess so. But I'm also, something that, and maybe I wonder if you felt the same way, I was so creeped out by the idea that Cain was down in the tombs, like summoning these horrible creatures and that there's like a door in Selena's room. Yeah, he could have easily just like gone in there. And, yeah. Or, like, sicked a creature on her. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of, I just kind of felt creeped out by that. Like, what if she was sleeping? (laughs) It was just creepy. (laughs) It was very creepy. So we get to the final battle. It is Selena, Kane, and Grave. And one other person who are left. Knox? Was it Knox? I Did he make can't it remember, but unfortunately that means that they were not a significant part of the story. <laughs> they were. Um, so that the fourth person obviously gets beaten out by Kane, maybe. And then I think Selena fights Grave. Mm-hmm. And she just like destroys him. Like it was like she was fighting a butterfly. Like she <laughs> absolutely no competition she wipes him out like she is like taking a sip of wine while she's doing it like just so i was i was so gratified that she (laughs) finally was able to unleash herself because although we know she's adderland's assassin and that she's supposed to be like selena sardothian she's supposed to be like the super deadly uh sort of infamous person because of her assassination abilities we haven't seen it really we've only been given hints of it so to mm-hmm. see her unleash herself like this and in front of an audience of people who matter, like that could help decide the fate of her. It was very, very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a great fight scene, but it only lasted a very, very short time because yeah, she just wiped the floor with them. Yeah. And then they have a little break. And by a little break, I mean a very little break. So this whole time Kane's been, because he fought first. So he's had like, a fairly significant break because he fought first and then he had to wait while she was fighting. And then they have this tiny break and they're, they they don't even give her a breather. They don't really give her a breather. Do they? Yeah. They give her a breather long enough for her to take a drink of wine as like cheers. You two are the final champions. So they give, like you said, the break long enough for her to have a sip of wine or a drink of wine, but it's this wine is drugged. And so they're basically trying to give her every disadvantage for this fight against Kane. Yeah. Um, And so she's, it's, it's actually, I actually found it so frustrating because I just wanted to see her kick Kane's ass, maybe even kill him. (laughs) It would have been so deserving. So she's being poisoned. She's trying to fight, but like, it's almost like she's, she's sluggish. She's she's drugged. She's sluggish. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, so you get hints you can tell kale really likes her right Mm -hmm. but dorian is like they're kind of together and when this is all happening 
there is kind of like the circle is magic, isn't it? Like you cannot go in or you're not supposed to one either way. You can't go in. Mm-hmm. Kale is actually like falling to his knees at the edge of that circle. Like just yeah. so desperate to help her, but he can't. Yeah. And just like saying, get up, get up, like doing everything he can to encourage her just through his words. Cause there's nothing else he can do. And Prince Dorian, as likable as he is, didn't do squat (laughs) during this. Mm -hmm. He just was like watching. And I remember when I read that, I thought, okay, Kale. Yeah, (laughs) there's something here. (laughs) Like Dorian, you know, I don't know. I I think that could have meant something to Selena that Kale was doing this or so clearly expressing how he felt. And I actually felt a little sliver of apprehension for Kale for showing his cards like that in front of the king and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the fact that he did that says how much he cares about her because he put aside that brooding mask that we see from him all the time. And least, like it is in his nature to be that way. But it's also he's trying to be a certain level of professional. Mm-hmm. And he takes his job very seriously. So seriously. And he let that, he dropped that. Yeah. In that moment, he's like, no, what matters more is her. Mm -hmm. And he like really showed up for her in that moment. I think that was a big moment for them. Yeah. And he wasn't the only one who showed up for her because Nehemia, the badass woman she is. Doing her magic, like with the word, the words. (laughs) (laughs) The word mark magic. She was using words with the words. Yeah. But... She's she was helping her, um, and then this Selena doesn't know it, but this mark appears on her forehead. This glowing mark, I believe. Yeah, is it glowing? I for some reason think it's glowing. I'm, I'm picturing it glowing too. But when Nehemia's chanting, she actually is chanting forth Elena, and what that does is Elena takes the poison out of Selena. So mm-hmm. through Nehemia's chanting. Elena is summoned and she uses her power to actually remove the poison from Selena's body so that she can actually compete. Yeah. And once that happens, the tables are turned in a very favorable way for Selena, which is very satisfying. I was so choked mm-hmm. when she was drugged. I was like, are you serious? Like as if Kane isn't already a difficult enough opponent. Yeah. I mean, she would have easily beaten him. Yes, but yes. Like, it would have been, she would have had to at least work a bit for it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this way it was like, she had no chance whatsoever. She was until. holding her own despite the poison. Yes. Somewhat. No one else would have lasted as long if they had been poisoned no. like that. So she ends up becoming winning. She is now the king's assassin. She is going to sign this contract to become his champion or whatever. Because of this, <clears throat> she realizes that she can't continue her relationship with Dorian because mm-hmm. he's a prince and he they can't, it's unprofessional, whatever. They can't yeah. continue. So she breaks things off with him. And I think that that was about the right time to go ahead and do that, their relationship, yeah. like... 
it just it, made it sense. Was it was yeah. it was a fun thing for them to engage with. It was a bit of escapism, I think, for both of them. But mm-hmm. it wasn't going to go anywhere. Like it's not like the king's going to or the future king's going to marry the assassin, the king's assassin. Like yeah, exactly. It's just not going to happen at all. So she is. She needs to fulfill her contract, which I believe is four years. It's four years of working for the king. Mm-hmm. If she does not, and she... Oh, something that was made very clear in this book was how afraid she is of the king. She is terrified of the king. Yeah, she like will not look him in the eye. She's so scared of him. Mm-hmm. So he threatens Kale, Nehemia, Nehemia's family. He's going to just kill them. <laughs> if she doesn't fulfill her contract. So she she has to. And then once she does fulfill it, she's supposedly free. So supposedly. Supposedly. I, I don't know. I don't I don't trust don't that trust king. This king. <laughs> <laughs> seems too good to be true. He seems mm-hmm. pretty evil. In some versions of Throne of Glass, at the very end there's a little extra snippet, a story called The Captain and the Prince. And we actually get to see that ball from the perspective of Dorian and Kale, which is really, really cool. Yeah, so it's the ball that we discussed in Assassin's Blade, where um, these two masked strangers and one of them had sapphire eyes. That's Prince Dorian, by the way. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> oh, we, <yeah>. actually got, <laughs> we actually got to see it from their perspective. So that's why we had mentioned in an earlier episode it was such a cool Easter egg because at the time we had no idea who those two were. But they had indeed met Selena before and danced with her at a previous ball. Yeah, and neither of them know that they had danced with each other. It's not something that they like discuss later or bring up. It's just something like for the readers to know yeah. that this thing happened and that they had met before. And I don't know, it was just really, really cool that she chose to do that and put that in there. Because it's yeah. it's like a little secret just for the readers. Yeah, exactly. It's very cool. I really enjoyed that. And it's stuff like this that makes uh, Sarah, her her writing, it's stuff like that that just, it's so good. <laughs> There's just yeah. so much thought put into her world building and her character building and just everything. And yeah, I just love I was- it. I was going to say she thinks of everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, overall, I really enjoyed this story. Mm-hmm. I re- It felt very neat and tidy in terms of like, with the murder mystery wrapping up very well. There was still yeah. lots, lots of things unanswered. So you definitely want to keep reading on to the next, the next uh, book in line um, in the series. But you also feel satisfied that like the murder mystery thing has concluded. Now she's moving on into a new stage of her life as the King's yeah. champion. No, I completely agree with that. That as a novel itself, you're satisfied with the ending. It wraps up really nicely. But there's just enough in there of things that are left un- unsaid, unfinished, that you're like, okay, there's more to this story. And I need to know what happens. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for joining us today. On next week's episode, we will be going into the next installment of the series, Crown of Midnight.
Hope to see you there. Bye-bye for now. Mm-hmm.